Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Bonnie Tinsley is an adjunct professor of Latin at MTSU, but that's not why she's here with us now. She is the author of Against Every Hope, India, Mother Teresa, and a Baby Girl. Her memoir of the quest her husband, Cliff Richeson, and she embarked upon to adopt a child from Mother Teresa's orphanage in Darjeeling, India, in the mid-1980s. That baby girl, no longer a baby, is their daughter, Pema. But it wasn't easy, and there were many obstacles along the way. Against every hope, after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. The MTSU Police Department is adding more free sessions of its practical self-defense course this fall to help women throughout the campus community boost their safety and self-confidence. The first series of the Rape Aggression Defense, or RAD, basic course is set for Tuesdays from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. beginning September 3rd for five weeks ending October 1st. The second RAD basic course series is planned on Mondays beginning October 21st for five weeks, ending November 18th. That class will be held from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. each session. Class members learn helpful verbal skills and get hands-on training in basic defense and counteracting assaults by both strangers and acquaintances. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Bonnie, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me, Jenna. (laughs) What took you to India in the first place? Well, it was my husband's work um, that took us there. Uh, He was working for um, a manufacturer of earth-moving equipment, and um, they had a deal with the Indian government uh, for the the mining industry there. And we were the sole representatives (laughs) of this country, the company, because... I don't think anybody else wanted to go to India (laughs) at the time that we went at any rate. Yeah. (laughs) Did the two of you take to India right away or did it take some time to become acclimated? Oh, we loved it at first. Mm -hmm. We we really loved it. I wanted to go there because I had just seen the movie um, Gandhi. Um, Lord Richard Attenborough's masterwork. Yes. um, I had seen that film and just fell in love with Gandhi and fell in love with India as a result of all the filming. Uh, I just I just wanted to see it and, and be in his realm. So I convinced my husband <laughs> that we should go there. It was offered to us. We were living in Singapore at the time. Mm-hmm. So he was doing work all around Southeast Asia for this uh, manufacturer of earth-moving equipment. And uh, it was at that time it was called Westinghouse Airbrake, Webco. I think I did more than he did because his work was very, very challenging. Conditions, living, our living conditions were wonderful. We we found a new house and um, in in Bangalore. And um, we loved our neighbors, um, just everything about Bangalore. It was a sweet little town then. and um, But he was traveling a lot under very, very challenging conditions, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he picked up all kinds of diseases. He he had typhoid and I don't know I don't know what all during our stay there. Not uh, malaria, I hope. No, he did not get malaria. Uh, I think we were we had medicine. We I think we'd been inoculated for malaria. Um, but but there was other you know all sorts of other. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- because of where he was traveling and the conditions he had to work in, um, mm-hmm. all over India. Water yeah. purification is not the same in other countries no. as it is in the United States. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Now, aside from the age factor, what prompted you to consider adoption? Um, I think, I, well, running out of time. I felt that yeah. I was running out of time because mm-hmm. we started thinking seriously about it when we were living in Singapore and that was I was in my late 30s and I thought you know better n- now um, and uh, but then when we and, and we were undergoing um, medical assistance in Singapore but the idea of doing that same thing in India did not appeal to me mm-hmm. so that's when I guess I started thinking about the possibility of adopting. And um, but we weren't really we weren't really looking. We weren't shopping for babies or anything like that. It just the idea was in my heart. I would say that. Had yeah. you always wanted a child? No, not always. Not, not always. This was my second marriage, and um, I I did want a child with Cliff. I really did. Yeah. And when you discussed it with him, how did he take to the idea? Oh yeah, he was very enthusiastic. What? made the baby eventually named Pema stand out to you? The nuns brought out a little boy to start with and Cliff and I had always talked about wanting a girl so I just asked I said is there is there a girl baby and I saw there was a crib in a dark room in a corner and I thought maybe there was a baby girl in there it looked like maybe it was a sick room or something mm-hmm. so they they somewhat reluctantly brought Pema out, and she she was, I would say, on the sickly side. I saw her and I wanted her. It was, that's all I can say, really. The, the, one one the, of the miracles that that <laughs> takes place in our book, I would say, yeah. And the backstory on her is that she was just left at a hospital mm-hmm. as an infant, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the mother delivered her at the Victoria Hospital, so, uh, we don't. We we never found out anything about the family, at all. Um, they couldn't give us any of that sort of information. But she delivered the baby and then just vanished. So in instances like that, Mother Teresa's organi- organization, Missionaries of Charity, will go and and fetch the baby and bring it to the orphanage and from the hospital. And that's what they did. Yeah. Were there any signs of abuse or anything of that nature? That I thought there were. Um, because I saw these markings on her forehead and her wrists and her ankles, even up her back. It looked like a little mm-hmm. smokestack up her back. And I was told um, that they were actually birthmarks. She's, these are called um, Mongol or Mongoloid birthmarks. Chinese have them. All the, the, the uh, ethnic groups that are related to Chinese have these marks, and of course Tibetans. We we think that she was probably Tibetan. Yeah, we're, we're not sure. Yeah. She could be Sikkimese. She could be any any number of um, 
ethnic groups. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Bonnie Tinsley, who is an adjunct professor of Latin at MTSU. She's also the author of Against Every Hope, India, Mother Teresa, and a Baby Girl. You had all the odds against you. You're not Catholic. That's right. Mm -hmm. You had been married before, and the Catholic Church frowns on divorce. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And you were Americans. How did you find it inside you what it took to persist in this mission? I just She just made her way into my heart. I couldn't think about anything else, and I wasn't. I really, I, w- I was writing, but I really wasn't working on any projects, or I, so I had nothing else really to absorb me other than living there, making a life for us in Bangalore. And um, so I think I just had to have her. <laughs> you know, that was just primary did, in my mind. Did you ever yeah. become depressed or discouraged along oh, the way? Oh, of course. Oh, of course. I mean, um, there are there's a chapter devoted to the depression and the the chapter is called um, and this this is really mm-hmm. later on in the book uh, long distance calling god. Mm-hmm. And this is when um, there's, there is a turning point in the book. We have seen Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. She has given us her blessing. She says we can have the baby. Two months later, we get a letter from the sister in charge of adoptions who didn't like me, who said that Mother had changed her mind. I couldn't believe that Mother doesn't change her mind. So I, and I didn't trust the woman. But anyway, it was what it was. And that was the same time that Cliff came home with typhoid from the Singrali coal fields. So he was down for two weeks. And um, so I wrote a letter to the sister um, who was so against us. That chapter, Long Distance Calling God, I felt like I was losing touch with my faith, I guess. So I went to this... I, I headed f- toward this uh, shrine. It was a fertility shrine in a garden that I walked with my neighbor frequently, Cubbon Park. And I went there um, with the idea of, you know, what n- perhaps if I pray here, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be able to get her, you know. I mean, I was willing to take any risk, any chance anywhere to help to help us, yeah. But there were so many forces we weren't even aware of working on our behalf. 
I was going to ask yeah. you that. You, you and your husband have been in Southeast Asia for so long. Uh, what contacts and allies did you have on your side? Um, well, we had uh, lots and lots of letters of support from even State Department officials. Um, so uh, we had all of that marshaled together. The, the paperwork was just mountainous between India and the states for a foreign adoption. I mean, piles and piles of it. Um, but we had, um, we, even though um, we, we weren't, we didn't have a lawyer per se because there were no lawyers doing adoption in India, we did undertake a home study. So we had the lady who was in charge of the home study. She was a, a became a very good friend. So she was helping us. Um, and then there was an organization, I think, in Washington State that was working in the background to help us. But we never saw the woman. I mean, she would come and go. She would come to India and leave India before we could do anything or talk to her. So there was that. Uh, there was the uh, adoption office in Springfield, Illinois, where my husband is from. Um, I mean, we had so many, so many aides, and some we weren't even aware of until, um, and I don't think we'll ever be aware of, of um, who were helping us. And but it seemed to be, it seemed to me that the um, the deal that was made had to be done very quietly. <laughs> no, not exactly clandestinely, but yes. without a lot of uh, hoopla. That's right, exactly. Um, so in the end, the, uh, the sister who was so much opposed to me got relieved of her post and was sent to, um, to Delhi. Uh, mother was in Calcutta, so we were doing all of our toing and froing to Calcutta to to look, to look at Pema, you know, to keep up with Pema, and also to you know to visit with her and to talk to the sisters and everything. And um, so anyway, um, the deal that was made uh, was that with with the new woman in charge of uh, the the new nun in charge of adoptions, the deal that was made was to transfer Pema to a, another orphanage. That would deal with that was dealing with American adoptions, so which they could have done at the beginning, actually, <laughs> you know, if it had not been for this obstructionist nun. Oh yeah, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> so how did you finally get in to see Mother Teresa? It took forever, uh, letters, phone calls, course correspondence of any kind was fraught with difficulty in India in those days. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't even have a telephone, actually. This is when Indira Gandhi was prime minister. That's right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in fact, we were there when she was assassinated. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we were there for the Bhopal disaster, too, remember when the... Yes, the Union Carbide uh, yes. chemical spill. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it was a very tumultuous time that we were there. And Americans weren't welcome under Indira. Uh, so we were one of, I think, 25 people, Americans, 25 Americans, and that would include families, just 25 who were allowed 
to do business in India. And the only reason we were able to is because my husband's company had a deal with the Indian government. And this is also a piece of miracle. We went to see her, and we were told to write our request. Okay, So we actually went there. We got to the mother house. We wrote our request. It was delivered to her. We got an answer. Her answer said, uh, tell sister Margaret Mary to give the baby to us. Right. Right. When Margaret Mary read the note, she said, oh, no, mother is sick. She doesn't really know what she is saying. So again, we got rejected. So that was that was that morning and afternoon we were dealing with that at the mother house. And then we... I thought, I thought, why don't we go to the consulate? Maybe somebody at the consulate knows something that we can do. And sure enough, the head of the consulate there, who was an ex-Marine, um, it just gives me chills to tell this story. He said, go back to the mother house and go at Vespers and just get in the line and she will, she will see you. You just get in the line. Well, when we went, everybody, it seemed like everybody from the UK was there. They, and they all had these W.H. Smith bags. They were bringing gifts. The lines were way, way, way down. It seemed like for miles. So we, you know, I, again, I said to myself, this is ridiculous. You know, why do, why do we keep doing this to ourselves? And then... The little nun who had befriended us that morning, who had done the, the paperwork between us and mother and sister Margaret Mary, came to us and she said, follow me. And she took us uh, on some back steps up to, um, up to the, it's like a mezzanine level where mother was standing. And of course there were all of these tourists, right, from the UK, they were grumbling about that. But anyway, we got in the line. She also, she was, she had other visitors who were standing next to her who were local visitors, Indians. And um, so I thought, you know, I thought this is ridiculous. There, it still looks like an ocean of people to get through. And for some reason, uh, all of a sudden, it was like the waters parted, and we were there in front of her. And and she grabbed me by the hand, and, I mean, she was just so welcoming. But she was reading me, too. I could, I could see she was she You was wrote that me. she had a firm grip. She had a very, very, very firm grip, yeah. And there's more to the miracle of that. I've left out some of it. Um, I'll leave that for readers to read. Okay. Yeah, because the the book is just full of of miracles, and and that one, that one I will leave for for readers. But yeah, so she listened to me, and then she she held Cliff's hand and stroked the hair. My husband is very hairy. Stroked the hair on his arm and his, his hand. I'm sure to soothe him. You know, I I, I felt that I'd known her all my life. She was, she was like, a, like an aunt, a precious aunt or teacher. I mean, she was, 
She was there for us. There was no question of it. And then she said, well, I have to pray about this because in all fairness, I've not been giving children to Americans. How can I do this? So she said, I'll pray about it, and you pray about it too, she said, and come in the morning. And so we were there at the crack of dawn mm-hmm. at the mother house again. And this time she wrote a very precise letter saying, give this couple their baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then Margaret Mary said, well, you got what you wanted, didn't you? <laughs> I have more difficulty believing the obstructionist nun who uh, uh, apparently misrepresented mother's position yeah. to you. I did see uh, Margaret Mary again, and I'll leave the readers to experience that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The book is Against Every Hope, India, Mother Teresa and a Baby Girl, written by Bonnie Tinsley, an adjunct professor of Latin at MTSU, about her and her husband pursuing the adoption of a baby girl in India. How did the happy ending finally transpire? You know, I think it's understood, actually, from the very first chapter that we get this baby. (laughs) Right. Right, because she's um, well and alive at Stanford University today. (laughs) Yes, what's she doing these days? She's, uh, She's in the Department of Pathology in Strategic Planning. She is, she deals with uh, gifts and grants, and um, just worked a deal with Google for, um, and you know, it, it's it's awful, but I have a problem with the um, saying what she does precisely. Anyway, she's a la- liaison between the Department of Pathology and um, corporate and private industry. With Google, sh- she made the deal to develop and launch digital pathology and molecular diagnostics. (laughs) (laughs) And I leave that to the scientists to Mm -hmm. puzzle over. It must have pleased you that she chose to go into academia. Yes, it did. Of course it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how old is she today? She uh, will be turning 34 in November. And about how old was she when you adopted her? When we finally got her, she was almost a year and a half. And it was delayed again. Of course, she was transferred to one of of the societies for adopting children. Okay. It was interesting because the way they did it, India parceled out their adoptions uh, to various countries. For example, uh, CQ had American adoptions. But... Missionaries of Charity, Mother Teresa's organization, uh, had only Catholic countries. 
That was Belgium, Italy, and France. And Pema was supposed to go to Belgium at age two. They made the transfer, or they made the shift. They sent her to Belgium, okay. I guess, when she was two. She was almost a year and a half. Um, when we were about to get her from CQ, uh, she got the chicken pox. So that delayed another, I think, maybe two to three weeks mm-hmm. are getting her. And so she was not 100% when we mm-hmm. went to fetch her and bring her to Bangalore. <laughs> but I think, it, I think they had been telling her and the other children had been telling her that she was going to be adopted by nice nice couple. (laughs) (laughs) You uh, included original poetry intermittently Mm -hmm. throughout the book. Did you write the poems in country or while you were there? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite poem of all the poems in the book? Um, First, I'll read the one that has to do with Pema. And it says, she is here. Pema has come to us at last. We hold her light as our breath, deep in our dreaming, and pray she will not fly away before we have loved her enough. It's really beautiful. Is that, yeah? Yeah. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Can I read another one? Go it's, ahead. It's, not, it's a little bit longer. Uh, this is called Gilang Gilang. Under the Bay of Bone, down under the nudging fish and current swirls. On the bottom shelf, they grow coiled like snakes, knotty as slim twigs from sea-breathing trees rooted to the belly of the Bay of Bone. And the boogies divers, dreaming treasure, and the lovers know their magic with nets and sails who trade so deep the demon mines and weedy tomb of the Bay of Bone. Far as breath will go, they go down and down with nothing but a sea bone round the wrist and never drown. The book is Against Every Hope, India, Mother Teresa, and a Baby Girl by Bonnie Tinsley, published by Wordcrafts Press. Bonnie, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. The Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area is managed by MTSU Center for Historic Preservation. A partnership unit of the National Park Service, the Heritage Area tells the whole story of America's greatest challenge, offering assistance with Civil War and Reconstruction Era programs. Our projects include historic driving tours, museum exhibits, and nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For more details, visit mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. MTSU history professor Pippa Holloway wants graduates to be advocates for public education because they, like she, are products of it. That's why she urged them, during her speech at our summer 2019 commencement, to step up and speak up. 
Public education offers people from diverse backgrounds opportunities for success and a path to reach their full potential. An education at MTSU is not cheap, but because it's a publicly supported institution, it's an amazing bargain. MTSU drives economic growth across the region and the state because a university education helps you solve social problems, contribute to technological advances, be innovators, thinkers, and leaders. Education makes you more informed when you vote, better able to understand your responsibilities as a citizen, and better able to hold our elected leaders accountable. You're here because a lot of people gave you a gift. Some of them are people you know, most importantly your family who may have helped pay for your education, but many of the people who brought us all here today aren't here and they aren't people we know. Please think about how you can use your education to make the lives of all the people of this state better, no matter who they are, because all of the residents of Tennessee have contributed to your education and helped enable your success. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.